Hello Arsenal Pass listeners and welcome to this brand new Arsenal Pass limited time only podcast as the name suggests a podcast about all things limited in flesh and blood this is season one and we're focusing on outside the season of limited this will run for the next 10 weeks it's a podcast series where it features me as the host Hayden Dale with a plethora of amazing guests very experienced limited players some of the best limited minds in the game of flesh and blood uh, that'll be joining me to talk about all things from sealed draft draft strategies, the heroes and outsiders, and how to get the most out of this outsiders format, level ups, and just all things limited really. So in episode one, we're talking pre-release primer, how to go and win your pre-release with one of North America's top limited players, calling Krakow winner, Yuan G. Lee. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to the pod, Yuanji Lee. Yuanji, it's awesome to have you on for episode one of Limited Time Only. Uh, maybe for those that don't know who you are, I, they clearly didn't listen to us attack for 20, but do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, your journey in Flesh and Blood? Yeah, thanks. Hi, uh, my name is Yuanji. I've been playing Flesh and Blood ever since, like right before Monarch came out. I got introduced to the game uh, by Michael Fang, who I think if you're watching Arsenal Pass, he was on another episode talking about Uprising. Uh, and uh basically just like trying to be you know one of the best flesh and blood players out there while also giving good information to the people and speaking of attack for 20 we are trying to revive it right now i'm starting a new uh flesh and blood team called runaways and we just finished our roster for the baltimore pro tour and one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be releasing uh, some podcast episodes to kind of help people level up in both constructed and limited super exciting so who have you got for baltimore i mean you're you're in the east coast right so you're in kind of like the hub of what i would call the hub of north american flesh and blood you know you're just near michael fing i know there's michael hamilton yeah, yeah. and the, those guys aren't far away as well so, so who have you got for baltimore on runaways yeah so our uh our core team um the the people that we started the team with is me, uh, Cody Williams, Dan Neil Rakowski, and Shane Martin. And for the Pro Tour, for Pro Tour Baltimore, we're adding a couple of people from uh, near where Shane lives uh, in the Midwest. I think Timothy Long and Lucas Oswald, uh, as well as uh, we're adding from a New Jersey area, uh, a New Jersey like Pittsburgh. It's uh, Charles Dunn, Pat Eschke, Michael Dalton, uh, some other people. Uh, are also in the works so it's a pretty large team in the making but hopefully we'll all do pretty well yeah I, I mean that team sounds stacked i know a, a lot of people listening might not be familiar with some of those names but i mean even someone like cody who's had numerous top eights and just seems to sneak under the radar i'm not really sure how he, he does it but he seems to sneak under the yeah. radar and michael you know dalton i, I know as well and just yeah mm-hmm. pat pat Eschke, of course and and that sort of group of um i know they've had a uh it was with craig for a while right and that kind of group from from their area so um you know just really yep. talented and really experienced i think majority of your your roster it sounds like have been at uh most of the pro tours and worlds i think and maybe luke is the exception but you know a phenomenal player as well yeah i think uh we have like a lot of not only from flesh and blood but also like previous trading card game experience so hopefully looking to make a splash at uh pro tour world tomorrow yeah, very exciting. And for for those that don't know, I mean, the the first time I met you, Yuanji, was actually at Pro Tour New Jersey, and uh, I remember us having a conversation. And you said, "Do you do you mind if I put your face, or rather, not your face, on some sleeves?" Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You always gotta ask. I still have those sleeves. I, I have some boxes left. I, I have the box you gave me. I've used them for. Uh, I mainly use them for pre releases, actually. So they'll they'll get an outing yeah. uh, in a week's time. With uh, with the outsiders yeah. pre-release, did you ask my? Uh, did you ask Tarek for his uh, his permission? It's mostly him to be fair on that on that sleeve. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I should have. I, I I messed up. If you if you haven't seen these sleeves, it's the infamous picture from Pro Tour One where LSS gathered uh, or Channel Fireball, whoever it was the event organizer, gathered all of the the uh, calling winners and nationals winners for a big photo, and uh, Tarek put his big mitt across my face, and it's just. This is the outline of my face, and then and then Tarek's hand, and it, it got uh, memed on quite a bit. So it was a it was a good time. But anyway, Yuanji, we're we're here to talk about uh, Flesh and Blood Limited on limited time only, of course. Who would have thought? And we're going to talk in There's this a episode. <laughs> we got a big new set. Makes sense. We're going to talk about 
outsiders and sealed in particular heading into this pre-release weekend you know how to win your pre-release effectively we're going to break down some of our sort of tips and tricks and some of our early thoughts on outsiders me and yuanji just before we jumped on uh we're talking about some of the things we'd sort of already sort of discovered or thought about for the sealed format um f- before we ask just general thoughts on sealed i mean sealed has kind of had a bit of a bad rap in flesh and blood because of mm-hmm. particularly formats like uprising and and monarch what are your kind of thoughts on flesh and blood sealed and and do you think that with outsiders we have potential to sort of open a new chapter of uh, of sealed for flesh and blood so i think uh the important thing is like why like why sealed even a format in the first place and i think what sealed does is it gives any player like you don't have to do a lot of research going into it you don't have to know like everything like basically there's no like drafting portion you just get the cards and you play with the cards that you open and i think with that respect it probably doesn't offer like the depth of experience or the depth of play that um like draft formats give but i do think that as long as the games are interesting uh then i think that's the most important thing and i think why they choose to do sealed for like pre-release is it gives uh any player no matter what your experience is kind of like uh like a little bit more straightforward way to get in and play some games of flesh and blood yeah, and did you get to play any Monarch or, or Uprising? Like, did you have any... Sorry, Tales of Aria Uprising, like, you, or Monarch even? Because I actually didn't mind the Monarch Seal format. I actually liked playing that format. I think Tales of Aria and Uprising were a little bit of a tougher sell. I have played every sealed format, I think, for all, all the sets that have come out this game. Actually, I first started playing this game when Michael introduced... All we had were Arcane Rising boxes, so we just played a lot of Arcane Rising sealed. Uh-oh. It was an interesting time. Uh, but actually, I think that there are some kind of callbacks to those kinds of formats um, in in the new set. I I think overall, yeah, Flesh and Blood Seal does get kind of a bad rap. I think mostly just from the more enfranchised players because like the it's like pretty straightforward because there's usually like one or two heroes that are like the best heroes to build. Uh, but I think it's it goes both ways, right? Like if it's pretty straightforward to build like you know like these are the good heroes then uh for anybody who's who's listening or watching then they can feel pretty prepared going into playing their pre-release yeah and and potentially how to exploit those as well right like not strengths are strengths but there's also weaknesses with some of these heroes as well so yep Cool. Uh, why don't we start by talking about just sort of some of the core fundamentals of, of Sealed Deck. You know, and a lot of people who are maybe newer to Flesh and Blood, or what i found with Flesh and Blood as well, a lot of people are newer to TCGs and totals, so, and they might not have had the Sealed experience before. So why don't we just talk a little bit about, about what Sealed Deck is and kind of some of the like core fundamentals when we open our packs uh, on pre-release day and what we kind of do first. So, I mean, obviously, you're going to get your six packs uh, is what you get in Flesh mm-hmm. and Blood Sealed. You need to build a minimum 30-card deck. You can choose any of the heroes available in this, in this format, uh, the young heroes to play and other tokens and you get access to all the token weapons so if you don't open the new pack you don't worry about it you can still grab those token weapons the TO make sure they're there for you but you want to ask you what's the first thing you do when you start to open these packs do you have a particular process when it comes to opening your packs other than you know obviously being like what what uh, what legendary did i crack <laughs> yeah you gotta always look out for the especially with the pre-release you want to try to pull some of the new stuff um but yeah the first thing that you should do when you're uh kind of playing your pre-release maybe it's like your first time playing sealed is so all the cards at the bottom they tell you like what um like what class or or uh type of cards that they are so you want to do like a rough sort so it's a little bit more complicated i think in this set because you have the hybrid cards but i would just try to when you're first opening the packs just take your time um pull pull aside all of the generics all the ranger cards ninja cards like group them by um by which uh, class they belong to, and then you can keep the hybrid cards, I guess, like in between. So you make like three piles, one for each class, and you put the hybrid cards in between, and then you have the generics to the side. And I think if you do like the sorting, I mean, most of the time in Flesh and Blood, like you kind of want to play like all the cards that you can play. It's usually beneficial. So uh, Michael Fang told me this when we first started playing the game. Honestly, like most of the time when you're picking like what hero to play in Sealed, it's not bad to just like pick the pile that has the most cards. It's like a quick and fast heuristic. Um, and then we, I don't know, that, that's kind of how I would go at it at first. And do you, are you saying in your experience, you play all the cards you can play, like over 30 cards? Or are you, are you, you trimming some cards? Are you trying to play 30 cards only? What does it look like for you and, and Seal when you start to build? Mm, so if you want to go like a little bit deeper, so like I think usually if, if a card is at all like good, then I would lean towards putting it in. And I know if you come 
from other card games like Magic or or is the big one I think that you want to try to stay as close to like the minimum card size for uh, consistency. But Flesh and Blood is kind of unique in the sense that all the cards are uh, modular. Like you can, if you can't like play with them during attack, you can also block with them for the most part. And so because you have this kind of flexibility, it's really hard to draw like a card that's like a pure dead card in your hand. And so it's usually better to just have more total cards available to you. Yeah, I, I felt the same. And especially my kind of first take on Outsiders, and we'll dive into the set more specifically, but the set feels more similar to sets like Arcane Rising as opposed to sets like maybe Tales of Aria Uprising, which were really quick mm -hmm. and very powerful. It does feel like you're going to see, even if you play 33, 34 cards, you're probably going to see majority of your deck in most games. So um, that's been my early take on Outsiders anyway. So I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, if you've, you're kind of weighing up the last two or three cuts in your deck to get to 30, if you're at that stage and these these cards feel pretty similar in power level, you want them in your deck, you, you should probably just play them, I think. Um, yep. What about, I guess, so one of the things actually you just talked about laying out to piles, I think one of the cool things you can do in the set is you if you chuck Assassin in the middle of your three piles and you have Ninja and Ranger on the outside, you've got a nice little avenue for your hybrid cards because Assassin is in both the hybrids. Uh, they, you know, it's Assassin ninja hybrid and assassin ranger hybrid so you can easily do that so also really recommend doing that and then maybe laying down your like equipment along the top it, do you find that your equipment is going to sway what you play or are you more looking at like the depth of your pile you're looking at the quality of maybe your reds like your what people might consider like ways to win the game your power cards um so it, i think it varies from set to set how important equipments are like i think it, we're talking like tales of aria i felt equipments were pretty important uh just because some of them are very powerful. Uh, whereas I think for Uprising, like it just like you wanna, I mean, like for both of those sets, like you wanna play like the most powerful hero, but like something that might move you off is like if you have like all the equipments, let's say. Equipments are a kind of unique thing to the game of Flesh and Blood because you always start the game with them. So let's say if you have, if you're, if you have the choice between playing uh, Assassin or playing Ninja and you have, let's say like three more pieces of gear for uh for ninja than for assassin you're basically starting the game with like three extra health uh or like give or take and so that's like quite a good advantage to have so if you're have a tiebreaker yeah someone was like explaining this to me early when i was sort of looking at like limited flesh and blood and thinking about the power of the equipments it's like imagine if you had your your best card in your deck but it had like attacked on like plus three power or something and and you knew that was going to hit or it had an extra three defense that you know you, knew you could utilize like you get this equipment that starts on the field it's, it's really high value and sometimes it's a bit hard especially if you're newer to the game to to really assign a value to it but a card that starts on the board is, is just always going to be more useful than i think people generally realize um and, and there's some good abilities in the set but maybe they're not quite you know plume of evergrowth or uh card yeah, yeah, yeah 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 fair enough so we've laid out our piles, uh, we start to look through, like, what are there, you know, you talked about, I guess, just piles that have the highest amount of cards, ones that have the red cards in them. Is there anything else that you're looking for? Like, one thing that springs to mind, particularly for outsiders, and we can just use this as a quick example, right, is if I want to play Ninja, I probably want some number of zero-cost blues, right, to be able to trigger the go again on my Kadachis. Is there anything just in general that you're looking for when it comes to sealed piles? Yeah, so I think for each class that you're playing, it's a little bit different. Um... Without getting like too high level, I think that, like you said, for ninja, it's really important to have zero cost blues and yellows because you really want to be attacking with your weapons as often as possible. Uh, I think similarly for assassin, you kind of want to have a decent number of blues. I think assassin usually ends up playing a little bit similar to uh, guardian in that respect. Like you want to have a blue because like being able to attack with your weapon and applying a a debuff to your opponent is really how you kind of get past a lot of like the maybe like uh what's it called uh shortcomings for a lot of the assassin card pool and then for rangers uh, i think the big thing that i'm looking for is just do you have a density of high power cards meaning like um just like cards that have power attached to them so all the generics that have like five or six power I think are pretty important and arrows like red arrows uh buffs for your arrows and the main reason for that is that because ranger doesn't have a weapon you, that you can kind of fall back on you really need to make sure that you have enough damage total in your deck so if your opponent decides to kind of turtle up that they can't block you out 
Yeah, like if you think across the course of the game, uh, Ninja or even Assassin with Kadachis and uh, Spider's Bites, if you're able to get through four or five damage with those, you know, maybe it's a little bit less, maybe it's a little bit more, but say around four damage, that that's a big chunk. You know, that's another full red card in your Ranger deck that's hitting as well. Or if you think about it as leak damage, that's another four arrows that you need to leak one damage over the top. So it, it is that idea of looking for these reds and yellows that have density and breakpoints and Ranger, I think is something that's going to be really important in the seal format. Uh, all right, so you've, you've opened your cards, you've looked through your pool, you've started to decide what you, you want to build. Um, is there anything else that you think is really important once you start to lay this out? Like how do you start to, when you're actually putting the deck together, is there anything else that you're kind of looking towards, looking at? Are there any things that you have as considerations when you're, you're, you've chosen your hero and you're starting to put the deck together? Yeah, I think it's good to have like an expectation of what your deck is probably going to look like um, going into it. So because uh, I think that the packs end up breaking out um pretty uh consistently in flesh and blood meaning that you get like about the same mix of like cards for each like particular class uh what will usually will end up happening when you're deciding oh should i keep this card in should i take it out is just to see like whether or not it functions well with your hero uh and most of the time like for the most part, like all of the cards that are within your class are going to be the ones that you almost always will include in your deck because, for the most part, they have designed them so that they are either at, like at worst like a block three, uh, usually are like fit well with like how your hero wants to work. So you want to look at your generics to see like oh maybe this generic fits with my game plan, and maybe it doesn't. Uh, the other thing that I would just like make sure is that you have enough blues. So I think that the math works out to be. If you have about uh, nine or ten blues in a thirty-ish card deck, that you should see about like one every turn. Uh so making sure like if if that's what you want to be doing, like making sure that you have enough blues to fit in there. Maybe you have a card, a generic card that you would rather not play, uh, but because it functions as resource, you just like keep it in. Yeah, yeah. Do you? This has been a bit of a. I guess this is a very long-standing tcg debate i think when it comes to sealed it kind of came up a lot in magic but i think it comes up a lot more in flesh and blood because of the the nature of the modality of the cards like you talked about earlier is this idea of synergy of the cards that you open in sealed and what i mean by this is the interaction of maybe two cards that work together really well so if i think ranger in the set it could be something like um scout the periphery and you know an arrow in particular to sort of and with riptide to have that sort of synergy or it could be uh you know a stealth attack that has an on-hit effect with with your um pumps with your attack reactions versus yep. just like good you know power cards good cards that have in that in that bottom left hand corner a good number like what do you think is the kind of balance between those things mm, i think usually sealed ends up leading towards you want to play like the power cards rather than the cards that require like specific sequences just because like you just don't have like the same um, like mix so like like i said like your expectation is about like half of your deck or maybe like a little bit less than half of your deck is going to be generics so those cards automatically aren't going to necessarily like fit with exactly with like your game plan but there might have just be like pretty good rate like you pay two and you get six damage right and i would lean more towards playing as many of the cards that just like function well on their own and the nice thing about Flesh and Blood is that you have access to like this arsenal spot. So when you do have a card that let's say like that buffs um like arrows, like there's some rares in Ranger, mm -hmm. then you can kind of the more good cards that you play, the more flexibility you have to actually keep that card that only works well with like one or one or two other cards in your deck. Right. As opposed to spending it as soon as you can to get it to a relevant sort of damage threshold to put it on your yeah. yellow arrow or whatever as opposed to just yeah. playing your your five good red arrows and just having good generics in your deck yeah 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 i i think that's kind of been my takeaway from sealed and more and more i played flesh and blood that bottom left hand corner because of the repetitive nature of you know things like if you compare it to classic constructed you build your deck for consistency right like consistency is such an important thing in flesh and blood and in sealed you're really limited to what you can do you're having to plug and play with different sort of aspects and you're gonna have these like maybe you do have some synergy but it's probably gonna be like four or five different things that synergize in different ways yeah, as opposed yeah. to the same thing repetitively so yeah i right. i think it's uh it's more about that that bottom left hand corner what, what about i want to we can move on to outsiders and i want to talk specifically about like some of the more viable strategies and what you're sort of leaning to but 
big question in, in sealed and i think this can vary for format first or second if you win the die roll what are you choosing yeah it like varies from set to set so i actually think for outsiders probably first should be better um so generally like the rule of thumb that i have for flesh and blood is that if your opponents want to block more and you think that the game is going to be more about like the total like number of cards that you have in your deck being important then it's better to take like the first attack because usually attacking cards spend you usually spend fewer cards on attack uh than you do on defense so an example is if you attack for six and your opponent blocks two cards they're spending two cards in their deck versus you spending one card um, and so you get the advantage that way. Whereas in a lot of the formats that we've had more recently, it's been more about like racing. Like you can't actually like get to a point where you're gonna end up using all your cards. And so in in those cases, it's better to go second. Yep. Yeah, I think I'm fully in agreement. I think Uprising, Tales of Aria, even to an extent, depending on the matchup, and Monarch, uh, definitely it felt like going second was just like almost always correct. Because the other thing, the other way I look at it is like. If I choose to go first, how likely is my opponent to be able to use all four cards offensively when they, they draw back up to push damage? Mm -hmm. And yep. a set like this, a set like Arcane Rising, it feels a lot lower. Like you're saying, it's more likely that they're going to want to defend with some number of those cards. And if they go second, well, they, they don't really have a choice. So, yep. yeah. um, cool. All right, let's move on to Outsiders then. And uh, first sort of takes on Outsiders and Sealed. Is there any particular strategies that you're leading towards? Do you think some heroes look more viable than others as soon as you open up probably the average pool yeah i think for me probably i am looking to play either ninja or ranger to be honest um and it's really dependent on like what i open that would make me want to play ranger i think ninja has the best weapon so like in flesh and blood like your weapon is basically like your consistency tool because you always have access to it every single turn as long as you can spend the resources and so ninja has i would say like the best kind of like rate uh on their weapon you get like one damage for one resource so as long as you have like the zero costs to uh spend on resources uh actually among the two ninjas i actually feel like benji is probably the better one for sealed because benji has a hero ability that adds damage so even though Katsu starts the game with three more life, especially if you're going to expect the game to go like long, if you can like trigger the Benji ability three times and it kind of like equalizes it out, and plus you have more ways to kind of close the game out with his like unblockable claws. Uh, and then my pick for Ranger would probably be Riptide, uh, because with Ranger you really want to be going for more damage. And so, like, the way, like, Riptide's first ability that lets you put the card in your arsenal, a card from your hand into your arsenal face down, I think has, like, a lot of synergy with um, with your Barb Castaways bow because then it lets you spend the resource to give an aim counter to your arrow. And a lot of the arrows in this set get plus one damage when they... Um, when you put an aim counter on them. So it's another way to get, like, more power, like, more total power into your deck. Yeah, and I think a good thing to point out with that in Sealed is that you're often not able to spend your resources efficiently. So having these, like, what I like to call sinks, if you've ever played Magic, you know, mana sinks was a very, very relative term, but these kind of resource sinks that can add value to what you're doing on a turn-to-turn -turn basis, I think are generally have been undervalued, and I think in the set they should be uh, greatly looked at. So Barb Castaway in that, that, that respect looks particularly interesting to me. You know, you pitch a blue, maybe you need one to pay for your one cost arrow, maybe a one cost attack, or uh, maybe it's, you know, and then you've got this one left to to use your, your barb castaway ability. It looks really enticing to me. What about what about Assassin? Uh, why are you not particularly looking at Assassin? And is it a case of you're not looking at it at all? Or is it going to be just that you think the average pool is probably not going to be Assassin exciting for you? Yeah, so I think for Assassin, um, this is something that I really have to maybe play the games a little bit to get like a sense for like the feel. But the main problem that Assassin has is that most of the Assassin cards don't ha hit a break point. So in Flesh and Blood, like the like a good defensive card blocks for three. So we call a break point is something that does maybe like one above three. Like if you attack for four, then they can't like block it fully out with a three block. Uh, so Assassin is kind of lacking in that regard, so you need to be kind of like attacking with your weapon to like debuff their blocks so that you can like kind of get in for your damage when you can. 
and just like the overall like amount of like cards that you play are just like not that good um i personally think that both ozuri and arachne while they might be good for constructed formats it's like they're both a lot more synergy dependent like like we talked about earlier like you really want to be like leaning into just like pure power for sealed so azuri like you really want to have like um you want if you want to do the swap the attack with a card with stealth and you swap you want to be swapping to an attack that is like powerful and like relevant and in sealed maybe you would only get like two or three of those right uh similarly for arachne like if gives your first stealth card go again and having giving cards go again is really strong but then you also have to ask yourself well normally i really want to be like attacking for at least like three i think to give it go again for it to be worthwhile because if you think about it when you're blocking for three like all the cards have go again like you just block as many cards for three as you want they all have three go again so you want to be like attacking for three go again and then so how many stealth cards with three power are you going to have in your sealed pool to kind of take use of the hero ability yeah i think um it's solitary confinement is looking more enticing to me than azuri personally i think in in sealed and in limited in particular i'm looking for added value from my hero especially the lower the power of the format the more i want to have value from my hero that's why i, I completely agree with you on benji as well you know if there's gonna be a lot of blocking in the game leaking you know four or five damage over the course of the game that's actually double that amount of damage that you're presenting so and i kind of feel the same with like azuri like unless you've opened up all these you know crazy two for sixes you've just gotten really lucky in which case your generic pool's probably already really good and you should probably just play benji or katsu anyway yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um on the other hand, I think with solitary confinement, like I think if you have enough of these zero for threes stealth, I think what it does allow you to do is play out your hand offensively. Mm -hmm. And that's generally better in limited because than, than playing it defensively because there is a lot of block twos. So if you blocked with that card, yeah, you're you're defending three damage. But if you attack with it, you're presenting three damage. And if your opponent has to start to get into a position to use their hand as best as possible and defend, they're probably going to be defending with two blocks at some point and leaking some damage. And I think the other mm -hmm. the other part as well is that uh, there are some cards I think that work really well with with solitary confinement. So um, like Spring Loaded is a card I think that we'll, we'll probably talk about. Oh yeah, 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 I really like that card for you know being able to play off uh, like you know three card hands with a weapon as well. So weapon into stealth attack into into Spring Loaded as a, as a as a hand I think is really powerful. Um, and I just think there's there is some some play with solitary confinement, but. Yeah, I mean, I think my kind of... It's interesting you said Riptide because my first take on Riptide is that it, it potentially looks a little bit awkward, but the more we've talked about it with like the power of Barb Castaway and leveraging that hero ability, and the traps are really good, uh, I think mm -hmm. I'm also leaning towards towards Riptide. But I think Azuri, is, I feel, is going to have the, the worst win rate this weekend, to be honest. Maybe Azalea, but it'll be between the two is kind of my take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but in, what we're saying is that in, in all these instances... It's like you just want like your hero power to give you like a little bit extra or like, like a little extra something it's, yeah. but it's like uh i think like benji benji i think maybe riptide and probably yeah, like you said solitary confinement are probably the three heroes that actually can give um a little bit extra during the course of the game yeah what, why don't we dive into the kind of classes and and some of just our tips on like how to look at building and the cards you're kind of looking for because i think there's some, there's some more to discuss around that as well i'm sure we can talk a bit about katsu and what you can leverage from that hero ability but um why don't we start with uh why don't we start with the assassins when we talk about azuri like if you are looking to build azuri maybe you, you really want to play azuri or potentially you have a pool that kind of um you know is, is looking like the things that you you want what how would you build azuri like what what are the cards you're looking for and, and how would you actually build azuri yeah, so I think uh, the first thing is you got to see like what your strengths are. So I think Azuri's big strength, or Assassin in general, big strength is being able to kind of use your Spider's Bite to reduce the block value of your opponent's cards. Uh, I mean, in Sealed, probably like most of your opponent's cards are going to be attacks. That's just how the, the set is constructed. So you want to, if you want to be attacking with your weapon, then you want to be putting like a decent number of blues into your deck. I would say that Azuri is not the kind of hero that I would try to like skimp on blues because I think they're so high value. And so like looking like we said like nine or ten is like about like one every hand. I wouldn't be I wouldn't feel bad about getting maybe like two every hand. And so I would go as high as like fifteen ish like uh blues uh if you have the ability to. And then I would also try to put um as many cards that have high power uh as you can because 
when your opponent wants to be blocking, like you really want to be trying to get like any extra like damage in. So like you attack with a stealth attack for like two or three, then your opponent gets put into like a hard situation. Like do I overblock and waste a card maybe, or do I not overblock and then maybe I'll just take some chip damage. And so you just want to be putting your opponent into the situations as often as possible. And so having the high power uh high power cards like you said the two for sixes maybe like one for five whatever uh like spring spring loaded uh those are like the kinds of cards that i think are pretty good yeah i want to really reiterate what you said about blues the spiders bites they are they are strong they are powerful and sometimes they are sometimes they look like oh it's, it's a it's a bad kadachi right two for one but so often your opponent just cannot justify defending that, whether it's because you're playing a four or five card hand or it's because uh, they have a, you know, a lot of two blocks and they need to dedicate these to you know, potentially yeah, yeah. defending a break point or something. It, it is really relevant. And so I think being able to, what having more blues does is sometimes you, you, want, you like we talked about before, you want to utilize your whole hand, right? And if you have hands that look like four card hands with two blue, that's going to allow you to do it more often than not with Spider's Bite attack twice the spider's bite present a threat or uh, maybe even play one of those blues so the other thing i want to add is like i think like there's some high value blues like blue spring loaded um there, there's other ones out there as well that i think you want to look towards that are going to add if you've got like 10 kind of whatever blues and then like four to five blues that you would actually play in the game i think your deck starts to look a lot better i also want to just talk about like why i would play azuri as opposed to solitary confinement because i just harped on about how much i thought solitary confinement was probably the, the better of the two i think if, yeah. if stealth is like if you're looking for win conditions and you have some high power attacks and those are looking like your win conditions as opposed to a lot of like zero for threes at red maybe you have more yellow stealth cards then i think Azuri becomes a lot more appealing because you've got this way to present breakpoints like you just said starts put your especially when you get to low life your opponent gets this predicament of like do I have to overblock this? How do I deal with spider's bites plus overblocking plus, you know, threat of Azuri activation, all these sorts of things. So the one the one extra life is, it's not significant, but it's not insignificant if the the effect of um, Solitary Confinement is going to be pretty null and void for you. So I, I do think that there is reasons to play Azuri this weekend. It's just going to come down to what's in your pool. You know, how many zero for three stealth do you have versus how many sort of like good generic attacks and ways to like good blues do you have, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah uh what about like cards you're on the lookout for uh, you talked about specifically about some of the zero physics what about you know is there any other cards that you look for like attack reactions to me i think if i'm looking at just assassin in general like i am looking for these uh raises yeah raises edge i'm looking for these ones that trigger with stealth and then ways to utilize that like sneak attack is a card that looks really powerful to me but you need to have the attack reactions to leverage it otherwise you're playing a two for three at red so it's not ideal yeah, I think in general, most of the stealth attacks that have uh, hit triggers attached to them, I think, are pretty strong. Um, like making what you like, I think all of the tokens end up being pretty relevant. Maybe inertia is probably like the weakest one for limited because people aren't going to be setting up like specific plays as often. But if you can like even attack with like a yellow infect or something, your opponent decides, oh, maybe it's not worth it for me to block then you can get in like essentially four damage off of one card being able to like those are the cards that i want to try to that, that would push me towards wanting to play uh and like you said like attack reactions that let me go like over the top um i think in conjunction with the hit triggers is pretty annoying mm -hmm. uh to deal with so i would try to make sure that those are the cards that i have in my pool for me to like really want to go into zuri and then also of course the generic like big big beefy two for six two for five make a ponder like things like that yeah it infects a card to me that looks good at all colors like it blocks a three it presents a really relevant like at yellow mm -hmm. you're threatening zero you know zero for four like it it infect is a card that i'm looking pretty high priority i think in in um in assassin any kind of other things you want to talk about for assassin before we we kind of move through and talk about rangers is there any other cards like from a high level standpoint that like really excite you i i had put a note in about like just general cards that you might be looking for in the set when you look through your seal pool and we kind of blaze past it oh, so yeah, if yeah. there's any kind of mentions that you want to talk about just in general when you look through your seal pool feel free to go for it i think in general just like uh yeah like i said like those stealth cards that have the hit triggers making sure that you can like get um that you can uh push uh, when you can i think that uh all the attack reactions like you get a really strong attack reaction in razor's edge being that you create a situation where you're let's say like 
usually like your opponent doesn't really want to overblock um because every time you overblock and then you choose not to switch your attack you um you essentially like lose a card for free uh as the opponent so being able to like take advantage of the situations so, like push in like a little bit more damage with either like a like a razor's edge or like a spike with whatever uh those cards are so good, rot, by the way frailty yeah 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 <laughs> So like it does, I don't think it like really even matters. Like any, I think all of the colors of the attack reactions that, especially the ones that give them a token, uh, end up like proving that to be valuable. Yeah. Like yeah. if you get the if you get the hit trigger, they also defend for three. So mm -hmm. yep, yeah, yeah. That's not that's not like a normal thing. If, you, if you've been playing Flash and Blood for a long time, having attack reactions of luck for three is pretty rare. I feel like I'm playing Warrior and welcome to Right Sealed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> All right, let's uh, jump over and talk a little bit about Ranger. Uh, why don't we start with Azalea because we just kind of hopped on Riptide a little bit. Like, what are yeah. the strategies that you see that are going to be viable with Azalea and, and why would you want to play Azalea? Obviously, you know, you don't get Death Dealer like you did in Arcane Rising. You've got you've got um, Barb Castaway this time. So why, why play Azalea? What does it look like? Yeah, I think Azalea... So, like, the, the main... So both Rangers have, like, a way to put aim counters... Uh, as I think, like the most consistent way. So I think for Riptide, the most consistent way to put an aim counter on your arrow is going to be with the Barb Castaways, and for Azalea, it's going to be her quiver that she has. Uh, that being said, like I think the reason why you would want to play Azalea is, let's say, you open like a bunch of red arrows. So like all the red arrows uh, that have hit triggers, like there's a a, a cycle that makes uh, either frailty, blood rot, inertia tokens. If you get to put them into play, like via Azalea's ability. Uh, and you give them dominate, and you can also like pay one and use her quiver to put an aim counter. So I think they all get plus one. That's like a really powerful play, and is, I mean, like if you think about it, like normally, like throughout the game, like you might have to um, go through some hoops in order to like actually push through damage, like through blocks. And Azalea provides a way for you to actually like do that, even if your opponent has cards to block with. Mm. Uh, so I think that would be the reason why you would play Azalea, but I think. It's a little bit less consistent, um, be just because like it's unlikely that you would have like the number of arrows. But if you do open like I don't know like eight to ten red arrows, maybe I would start looking at that. I, I'd probably play Azalea, especially if I had two to three like good pumps as well, like red pumps. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Because Azalea can like the hit the the power of that hero ability is that it can be your win condition, right? Mm -hmm. But often it's more often than not it's not going to be that, and it's going to be. No, I wouldn't say useless, but it's going to be a very low value and um, it's also hard to use, I think, as well. So that that can be kind of the issue, I think, with Azalea. Yeah, so each each ranger gets their own quiver. Riptide's quiver is kind of... Eh, it doesn't quiver, like really yeah. do it. It, it just uh, kind of, I think, salvages you if you get a card stuck there. Yep. Uh, but Azalea's quiver, yeah, you just you just get off the bat. It's a token quiver. Cool. I didn't. I didn't realize that. So thank you, Monty, mm -hmm. for uh, correcting me on that. Because I was looking at the spoiler and I was like, "Oh, they're common. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not tokens." Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to pick them. Much worse. Well, yeah. I think. I think Crow's Nest is like definitely a lot more powerful than Drift Quiver. Like Crow's Nest enables what we just talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. And there is ways that you might also use that second ability on Barb Castaway. Like, uh, actually, is there reload in the set, or is there no reload? uh i don't think that there is reload so like basically like uh the main way that you use the second ability on barbara castaways i think is with the riptide first ability mm -hmm. so when you get to put like a card from your hand uh into the arsenal face down and then you can like flip it face up if it's an arrow and give it an aim counter yep um while we're just uh, i just kind of scroll across these i'm just on like the you know the, the card gallery we didn't talk about this too much with assassin but what about the hybrid cards? Like, how good are some of these hybrid cards? Like, a card that, you know, you were talking about cards you're looking for. Like, Death Touch is, like, a card I'm immediately looking oh, for yeah, when yeah. I'm going through my sale pool because I think that card is crazy, crazy good. I think uh, me and some of the members on my team, were we were watching the uh, box opening spoilers. And I think it was um, Chris Sires that was doing it, like, slow enough so we could, like, think about, oh, what's, like, pack one, pick one. Every time he opens, like, Red Death Touch, we're like, that's the card. <laughs> that's the card we're gonna pick yeah so like death touch is super powerful and is another reason like maybe that you would want to go into um like a ranger or assassin and i think it's actually quite interesting that they do it in this so like i this is i think one of the first sets that i feel like the direction that i'm guided to play uh is going to be somewhat affected by like the rares that i open because 
I would say that like for a lot of flesh and blood uh, sets in the past, mo a lot of like the the power was just in, behind like your weapon or like your um like how consistent like your cards are. But actually, like a lot of the rares in this set are like very strong. Yeah, and it's like they're not only reasonably above rate, but they also um. I think because of the block value in the set, they represent more value, but also I think they just have consistent ways to enable them. Like you look at Death Touch in this first line of tech, Death Touch can't be played from Arsenal. It's actually just irrelevant. Like you either mm -hmm. just Arsenal the card and play it next turn, or if you're a Ranger, you know, there, you have potential ways to get it. And I mean, actually Codex is the, the main way, but <laughs> which is a majestic, but like you just yeah, Arsenal or, or, or the Riptide or the Riptide ability. Yeah, yeah, the like Riptide ability. Rabble or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is really powerful. Like, if you have, like, a three-card hand of, you know, a go-again attack into a death touch, like, that, a red death touch, like, that, that's a powerful hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about, like, a card like Toxicity? This is a card that's been talked about. Like, do you, do you think that card is potentially powerful in the right? Like, that's one that comes to me. It's like, well, if I could, like, dominate with Azalea, that card seems pretty good. Yeah, I think Toxicity is, like, one of those cards where it's going to be probably more powerful and constructed than in Limited. So unlimited, like you said, like the bottom left, like the power is going to be like the most important thing. And so while toxicity threatens the ability to do damage, I think it's more likely than not, it's just a signal for your opponent to say, block this attack. Just you know what I mean? Like like you're you're guiding your opponent to making the right play. They they want to block the attack out and prevent uh themselves from taking five, four, three life extra. How uh, how important do you think go again is for the rangers? Like we just talked about ravenous rabble, for instance. There's there's a you know there's some other ways uh, to to get go again. I mean there's the there's the equipment which looks a little bit awkward. Um, but what hey how yeah, important? That, that... Yeah, <laughs> <Just> the sandals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that card I I don't think works that well with a lot of the cards in the set, which is pretty interesting because you know you think about a card like that, like an analog in a lot of the other sets would be like one of the most powerful cards. Uh, I think go again is it depends. Like so, Ranger has a lot of go again in the form of non-attack actions that strengthen their next attack, and I would say that those are actually very useful both for kind of activating the Riptide ability to like give you an arsenal, uh, and also I think for Azalea to like if you want if you get like an arrow with Dominate to be able to like push extra damage when while your opponent can't block with their full hand. Uh, so go again comes in many ways, and I think that they are pretty important for Ranger, because uh, Ranger really wants to be like on the offensive, like right? Like, because you don't have a weapon, you don't want to be like on the blocking side as much. So I would say go against probably more important for Ranger than the uh, other two classes. Yeah. Even I, though, well, Ninja just gets cut. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the trouble, right? You don't, you don't have to work for it, yeah. Yeah, you, you do have to work for a Ranger on the flip side, though. And I think yeah, that's going to yeah, be yeah. The, the trouble that people find this weekend is trying to understand what that looks like. And one of my kind of tips I think I have is that you want to look at, like, realistically, if the arrows you have and the pumps you have, like, can you, can you deal lethal damage? Like, do you have enough damage in your deck here to be able to win the game? And then the other thing I'm looking at, to be honest, is, like, do my other cards like block for three? Like if, if my other card, like if I'm kind of on borderline of like having enough damage in the deck, maybe I have seven-ish red arrows or something, maybe a couple of good yellow yeah. ones and a couple of like good red pumps. But then like all my other cards like defend for two. It's gonna be really hard for me to like get through the game, I think, and get to the points where I can can finish my opponent if all my other cards that I want to throw away on the defensive side uh, are two blocks. Like you're gonna need some three blocks to make sure that you aren't having to use your you don't want to be blocking with those red arrows like that is a death sentence i think that's a really yeah. a tip i want to give like you do not want to be defending with those cards because how are you going to win the game i actually did the math before this oh here we go <laughs> if if you're if you're like assuming like so most of the generics in the set block for two and then most of the class cards block for three so assuming like your opponent gets like 2.5 block on average then they can block for 75 ish damage if they just like decide, I'm just never going to attack you, I'm just going to block the whole game. So your deck actually has to provide at least like, I would say like around 90, like realistically around like 95 to 100 damage over the course of the game. And so like Ranger doesn't get any of that from like your weapon, right? Uh, and so like there's this like, yeah, like you said, like if you block with like a red arrow, that red arrow maybe represents six damage, like you're, you're going to run into some issues later on in the game. So yeah, I think for that reason, like you really want to try to maximize your offensive potential that you can. Yeah, that that's the other reason I think Azalea is potentially 
I know we talked about the strength of Riptide, but Azalea looks to me like if you have the cards to play it, that hero ability is going to be really relevant. And it might be more relevant in draft than sealed, to be honest, in terms of, you know, just the way you can build into it and, and support it. But, you know, if you're able to reduce that, say, you know, I don't need to present 90 damage, I need to present 50 damage because of dominate or 40 damage because of like these, I can string together maybe three or four like big dominate attacks. And I'm talking like, you know, double pump into an arrow or something or four to five card hands. You're going to win the game with a couple of really good turns. And I, I think that is viable. It's going to be harder in sealed, but I really do see it becoming a thing in draft. Oh, yeah. Uh, before we get off the topic, one card that we were talking about hybrid cards that you really want to be looking for if you do decide to play Ranger is uh, Verlin Touch. So Verlin Touch is a common. It costs zero. But being able to... It's kind of like unblockable damage because if your opponent blocks with a card, then they get a Blood Rod Pox token. So like no matter what, like they're gonna have to be like using um they they're either gonna like take two damage off of it or they're gonna have to be like saving like another card to prevent the damage. So it's just like you, you wanna find as many ways as possible to kind of bypass like your opponent's like block strategy. Yeah, there's a reason that card defends for two, I think. <laughs> quite strong these cards are good yeah so i think that's one thing to touch on before we move on uh, i do have one last question about rangers for you but uh unblockable damage is a bit of a theme with the set you know we don't have arcane damage but you know we have benji's ability we have dominate we have uh blood rot pox tokens we have a few different ways to uh seek you know ways to throw daggers at people we we have a bit of this like unblockable what we call evasion damage right and i think yeah getting those into your deck if you can is really important like a blood rot pox token when you're coming in with like a hand of like two or three cards is basically unblockable damage like your opponent's not going to be able to have that blue to give up for it unless they're doing nothing on their turn and having no arsenal like it is it's it's presenting a real big problem for your opponent so um that's why you know virulent touch like you just talked about i think the, the pumps just going back to ranger are super super important and the arrows that have those on hit effects that, that provide especially blood rot pox but even uh the not inertia what's the third one Oh, frailty. Frailty. Sorry, yeah. That frailty do, it does add up, especially against uh, the mm -hmm. assassins and ninjas. Yep. One last question for you is: How good uh, traps you Ranji, when it comes to ranger? I think traps are really good. Actually, I think traps are like the primary reason. It's it's like a weird situation to be in where I think ranger also kind of blocks the best uh, because the traps are all defense reaction type. They don't get affected by spider's bite. So you kind of have some counterplay against like uh, what both uh, assassin and uh, and ninja are trying to like do to you. I think in particular, all the traps that proc off of um, your opponent playing something with go again are really good because that's what those two classes like to do. And so we were talking about unblockable damage. So like if you like if you can fit in like a couple of like traps into your deck, it's like a way for you to like push through the you know like the extra like last like points of damage, right? Flesh and Blood is always a game about there's like different phases. So like towards the beginning of the game, people are more likely to be able to be willing to like trade life. But you want to have ways to kind of push like the last little bit, like if your opponent it starts to uh, put up the shields up and and make themselves hard to kill. So like having ways to make like Blood Rod Pox tokens, having ways to trigger damage off of like traps, you know, those are things that you really want to have in your deck to kind of close the game out. Yeah, that's the one I also forgot about Riptide, obviously, with the, the hero ability when you do trigger a trap. Important to remember for your pre-release, you have to trigger the trap to get the damage, not just play the trap. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Let's, uh, let's move on to, to finish it out with the, the ninjas. Uh, we, we talked about Benji and the strengths of... I mean, unless there's anything else you want to say about Riptide, obviously, we spent most of the time there on Azalea, but is there anything else you want to say about Riptide? The Riptide just looks cool. I don't know. Play Riptide. I agree. I've been claiming. <laughs> I've been claiming for the past three weeks that I'm going to be a Riptide main. I, 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 fortunately, I think I'm going to have to renege on that, uh, that comment. But you know, I'll put that in limited. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Ninja. All right, uh, Katsu. What are you looking to do? I mean, the the kind of old school Katsu approach was either you know, and sealed was like uh, either you got a little bit lucky and you got a couple of good like combo lines um mm -hmm. to utilize your hero ability again talking about the strength of hero abilities or it was the classic like kadachi attrition just play kadachis with your best like power like the again bottom left hand corner the biggest number and just kadachis and blues yeah i think if you want to be doing that kind of kadachi based strategy like you really need to have a lot of three blocks unfortunately ninja is the class where most of your class cards go are going to block for two 
rather than three. And so, like assassin and ranger, like all of the almost all of their attacks, uh, especially like the ones that common rarity, are gonna block for three. All the a lot of the ninja, uh, I think this is like how they balance it. A lot of the ninja cards block for two. And on the flip side, they have go again, so they're like good on offense. But I think they they uh, LSS has designed the set in a way that probably like fatigue katsu is less viable. Uh, and so I would be more looking for like strong combo lines to make sure that like oh I can like act like use my ability. Uh, speaking of rares that are like really strong or like outperform their um, their counterparts, like a card like Bonds of Ancestry is just like really strong, especially like in Katsu, where you can pretty reliably I guess um, look for it. Like any zero cost card, uh, if you do get to land a hit with an attack action then you can like turn into like one of your most powerful cards right so that's like kind of what the um the strength of katsu is if you do have like some of these like powerful combo lines i think it's worth looking at the set like the more and more i get into the limited facets of the set and obviously you know this is limited time only we're gonna be doing it a lot for the next uh, 10 weeks but um there is the design kind of waiting on the set for limited feels already a lot better to me than it has in, in previous sets in terms of like you just talked about the balancing aspects of things you know you just pointed out traps before and you know the ability as a ranger to have, have the, the sort of probably the best sort of way to defend you know assassin having these kind of interplays and then katsu or sorry ninja having like the worst kind of average defense rate um is is really interesting so yeah i think my kind of takeaway for katsu is you know I'm i'm looking at these combo lines as well and i'm looking at what i have in terms of you know, a couple of really strong ones to leverage that Katsu ability. Uh, but the other card that I want to talk about as well is like Be Like Water, which is this card that I think oh, yeah. is really important to Limited because it helps you fix some of the issues that Katsu has traditionally had with combo lines in Limited, which is you just open all the wrong pieces, right? I, I have all these, I have Bonds of Ancestry and, you know, um, it, uh, what's it called? The Gust Wave card, uh, Descendant Gust Wave, but I've got no Surging Strikes, for instance. Well, all of a sudden, actually, I've opened two red Be Like Water. Those can be my Surging Strikes. Like Be Like Water, I think, is going to help us fix a lot of cards whose combo problems are limited. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think I think be like water. You know, it's funny that you say that because I actually think it ends up being like a little better for Benji. So be like water. You have to like be able to hit with it. So like actually like yellow be like water in Benji's I think is quite strong for that reason. Uh, you get to like play out your combo lines. Plus you get to like trigger the Benji ability to give a plus one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Make makes sense. But even I mean. Uh... Like even if you open like yellow surging strike in your pool and red descendant gust wave, like that on a three card hand with a blue, that's like nine damage. Oh, yeah. You're just presenting yeah, good really damage, strong. I think, with some of these cards, which is which is really cool. And yeah, I mean, be like water. Yeah, yep. you do have to hit, but also like, yeah, I think with Benji, like you talked about with yellow or even I guess like blue, like that that represents like quite a good way to to turn on some of these combo. Because let's not forget, just because Katsu has the the hero ability, like Benji's going to be utilizing these combo cards really, you know, really efficiently. Yeah. I I think that the so we said that before it seems difficult for a lot of the classes to fully utilize their hand on offense and I think that ninja is kind of the exception to that so one thing that you might want to consider if you're playing pre-release uh is like what class you're playing against because ninja almost all of their uh class cards do have the ability to go again and so them going second it is more likely that they'll be able to put together uh, like a four-card hand or a three-card hand plus an arsenal. And so I think that is part of the the pull of wanting to play uh, Ninja is just being able to do that, being able to play out all your cards on offense where the other two classes kind of rely on blocking a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any other kind of like thoughts on Katsu, like any other cards you're particularly looking at? Like, I guess my question might be like, why why play Katsu as opposed to Benji other than the, the three life? Like maybe you don't have enough cards that can utilize that Benji text line or you don't have enough breakpoints. Is that maybe why you don't play Benji? Um, so I think for Katsu, yeah, it's just like I think if you have like really strong combo lines and then you also have like the attack reactions. I think there's a assassin uh, ninja hybrid attack reaction that's kind of like a razor reflex type card in the set. Yes, I'm playing uh, it now. It's called Short and Sharp. Yep, that's the one Short and Sharp. costs costs yeah. one, and it's like, it's like Razor Reflex without the, the go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that if you do have... So, like, 
it doesn't take like because you start with 20 life uh or less in a limited it doesn't take that many like really powerful turns to like put your opponent into like i gotta block like every single like all my cards every single turn like, you put together one like really strong turn and i think katsu has the ability to to do that if you have the cards in your pool so cards like uh bonds of ancestry if you have multiple of the what is it the uh, i want to say hurricane kick but it's i don't think that's what it is like oh the the um i'm looking at the roundhouse kick sorry spinning wheel kick yeah that spinning wheel kick so if you have if you can train together like like uh two or three of those right like because katsu lets you tutor for that for those power cards um you only need like one turn where your opponent's like oh i i think i have a pretty good turn i'm not gonna block you can put together like 12 13 damage then they are gonna have to like start blocking pretty much like your whole hand and that's really where kadachis end up shining when you're you have your opponent on like the defensive and and so i think those would be like the reasons like you really have like the high power combo cards and you want to try to like utilize them every turn or every game i mean let's not forget as well even if your opponent does want to defend on average probably 10 block is probably going to be about where they land and sometimes yeah. they're going to land at eight sometimes they're going to maybe land at like 11 if they've got a trap or a, maybe two class cards but often they're going to be at like nine to ten and if you've got a 13 14 damage turn maybe like 15 actually looks really reasonable with cards off a five card hand i think with with kadachi damage it's like mm-hmm. you're going to all of a sudden leak damage they can have no hand you get timber back maybe you leak a little bit more damage and you're like in the driver's seat so i think you know if you can leverage that cards ability it's a it's a really good option to look at Go to Benji. Like, what are the cards you're looking at for Benji to like? How actually? First question: How important is leveraging the the first ability versus like the second ability? Like, how important is that plus one leak, like you talked about, as opposed to the unblockable damage? I think the plus one is going to end up being the more important ability. The unblockable is kind of just like a nice to have. So like, it's it ends up being so a lot of like the really powerful hit triggers. Uh, that you have in ninja like if you play katsu like uh, i think it's like recoil uh is recoil the one that you get to put a card on top on top of your opponent's deck yeah like that's yeah that's like a very strong uh ability uh it's essentially adding on an extra like two or three like value onto your uh, onto your attack so benji being able to kind of uh, kind of like force those hit triggers through or like we said be like water it like turns on like if you if you turn into a surging strike your descending gust wave gets like a plus two right so it's like converting uh some of your like yellows and blues into like more power than you otherwise normally would have so that's like a bonus but i think that like just getting the extra one uh on like a hard to block turn like you attack with a one for four go again i think there's two spinning wheel kick and twin twisters both can be like one for four go against those are hard cards to block your opponent's gonna have to like block two cards on it in which case like you're already getting the value or like you're converting them into like basically like a one for five go again which is absurd huge yeah huge value yeah i, I think the thing with benji is you want to focus on that plus one ability the 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 unblockable ability is like really important especially in like in-game situations i think but in in-game situations you know you're gonna have a lot of blues and yellows in your deck left that you effectively get to turn some of your like chaff your like pitch chaff into effects that are going to leak damage and when you're like you know kadachi kadachi you know your opponent's like uh, do they have the unblockable card i probably have to block these kadachis on three life here or one of them at least like it starts to become really really relevant so yeah i agree i think benji recaps like the breakpoint cards like you just talked about those four attacks and then it's you know it's like some of these these decent yellows that have on hit effects as well yeah i think it's going to be like an interesting like situation because when you do play ninja you're you're not going to have the the block value to kind of stop your opponents like arrows that have uh hit triggers or you're not gonna be able to stop your opponents like stealth attacks that have hit triggers so it's like really can you like i put enough damage to make it so that your opponent isn't in a good spot to leverage the fact that you have weak defenses yeah and then that's a real balancing act because also you know how consistent are these hands like how consistent are they we're talking about these powerful hands you can have you know these stealth hands these hands with um the the you know the the combo lines for example like how consistently can you pull this together you know like we're talking Mm -hmm. sealed here like it's not draft where you can draft into this archetype and get repetitive consistency in the in the deck it's going to be a lot harder to put together so uh yeah i'm really interested to see i want to end with a couple of uh, quick questions uh yuanji yeah let's talk about equipment for a second like 
we talked about, I asked you at the, the top of the show, like how important it is. What specific equipment are you looking at as, uh, as particularly important equipment in the set? Ones that, you know, if you do open them, they are like, how good are these? Um, I call them a quell light. What are they called? The, um, Oh, the, the seekers. Yeah. The seekers I, line of equipment. Like how good are these? Uh, those I think are the weakest, although probably like not too bad in, uh, Azalea. If you, cause like Azalea, like like we said, it's like a little bit uh, less consistent to like use the hero power for effect. However, if you do like get some opts, I think that's when it changes a little bit. Yep. Um, I I think for the most part, the equipments that you really want to play are gonna be like the blade break equipment. And actually, like to be honest, I, I I haven't played the games of limited yet, but I have a feeling that most of the time the blade break is gonna be like the most relevant part of the card. Uh, just being able to like block for uh, a point of damage against Kadachis or like against like a break point, I think will be pretty useful uh and historically any chess piece that gives you a resource is pretty strong in limited but um have to see because the format seems a little bit less focused on like really like finding big tempo plays yeah uh as before so um un unsure but i at, at at first glance i would say that like trying to assemble like as many like blade break equipments uh because it, it's just like extra extra health points in addition to being able to help you block um effects yep yeah i i think those are gonna be really important we we just popped on about break points and how relevant those are going to be in, in certain decks and um i agree i think this format my kind of overall take to start with with the seal format is it's a lot about edging out and winning turn cycles and finding the kind of rhythm of the game as opposed to like big tempo swings like you say i think it's gonna be really important one thing I do want to say on like Seeker's Gillet is, or like any of these Seeker's cards, is we didn't talk about, um, I think it's Peace of Mind, which is a generic that costs two and like prevents damage. Um, like, oh, that, yeah, yeah. That is a card that like potentially obviously looks a lot better if you do have uh, a Seeker's piece of equipment. And particularly in Azalea, like I think there's going to be, maybe it's going to be more of a draft thing, but I can see decks where it's like, you know, a third of my deck is like these big, powerful arrow and arrow buff win conditions that I'm trying to build towards. And then the rest of my deck is just good ways to get to that. And opt is a, is a good way to get to that as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is something that I carried over. So like an uprising, you have, you also had like an instant that you could play defensively and Oasis Respite. So I think in general, like, yeah, like you said, any time that you have uh, something that you want to like, I guess, like spend resources on, I always try to like make it so that you can add up to like three resources spent. So having like at least like one piece of seekers for every piece of mind that you're playing is probably a good idea. Yep. Yep. I'm on board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that covers equipment. Any, uh, I guess like last thing is how good is, uh, I want to talk about a couple of generics quickly. Uh, give me your thoughts on Seek Horizon, Spring Loaded, uh, Spring Load and Come to Fight. I think Seek Horizon is probably just going to end up being played for the most part without like putting a card on top for go again. Red one is really strong. Just being able to have like four uh, damage on a card to kind of end your attacks, I think, is really strong. Uh, what were the other ones that you mentioned? Uh, give me Come to Fight. Your thoughts on Come to Fight? Because that's a card that I've traditionally very much liked. It blocks three. Mm -hmm. It's a pump. Yeah, I think Come to Fight is actually really good. So Come to Fight, I think, is really good because it is honestly like it kind of functions like a defense reaction in this set, especially like against um Spider's Bite. against Assassin because Spider's Bite only debuffs uh, attack action. So unless your opponent got lucky and opened like a majestic weapon, uh, <laughs> like you're you're for the most part like you're only gonna have your attacks get debuffed. So in, in a lot of instances, like having like a non-tech action that blocks for three is kind of like the same thing as having like a defense reaction. And so in that sense, like all of the colors I think are playable. Uh, and then for uh, like uh, Riptide, just being able to like play, you can like play from your hand and then like set up your arsenal and just like tack on extra damage or like Azalea if you have a dominate arrow. Yeah, just like in general, like pretty, pretty strong effect. Yeah, I, I think Red Come to Fight might be a pack one, pick one contention, to be honest. I think, I think mm, that card is, maybe. is, is, is it's, it's just really versatile and we talked about this format being difficult to leverage your whole hand. Not only does it get around Spider's Bite, it defends three, but it also just on offense allows you to pump these on-hit effects that then cause your opponent to have issues defending them. So, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm overstepping a little bit saying it's pack on pick one. I mean, you know, maybe there's a lot of like powerful class-specific and hybrid cards, but um, maybe in a yeah. pack, you know, like it is a card that I think is, is you're going to want. Yeah, that, yeah definitely.
What about Springload? It's the last card I kind of mentioned. It's a card that I've liked the look of, just that kind of ability, especially in Assassin. It looks quite, uh, in Solitary Confinement at least, looks quite enticing. Yeah, I think it, I think this is like a card that is probably best in Assassin. It's kind of interesting. So like you would think that like in Ninja, it it should be like pretty decent because like, let's say you can do like three card hand, or three, uh, you can do a two card hand, Kadachi Kadachi, like this card. But most of the ninja cards don't block well, so it's like you don't really want to be blocking uh, with like the rest of your cards. This like a card like this like really shines when, uh, when you get to kind of play it as like you just have this plus like a resource card, so that you get like the buff off of it, right? So I think Springload is actually quite strong. Um, yeah, I think for Assassin. For Benji, it'll probably just be like, uh, like maybe you play the blue ones just for, uh, for pitch, and then maybe you can get in like the unblockable damage, even if you don't get the the buff. Yep. I don't know. It, it is quite versatile. I think has will have use cases for all the heroes. Yeah, I'm really interested to see. Cool. Well, Yuanji, I want to say a massive thank you for joining me on episode one of Limited Time Only, Arsenal Pass Limited Time Only. Um, before we sort of bounce off, uh, how many pre-releases are you playing this weekend? And then I just want to give you the opportunity again to just shout out uh, your social platforms and, of course, the projects you've been working on. Go and check out Yuanji's uh, deck tech from Auckland, by the way. That deck was sweet. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm probably going to play like two or three pre-releases, uh, depending on the scheduling. And I'm pretty excited to try the new set out. Uh, I want to thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, it was a lot of fun just getting to talk about Outsiders. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I think it's at Yuanji Lee. And uh, also we're uh, the Runaways TCG channel, uh, TCG Runaways channel on YouTube. And also not super active on Twitter, but we're going to be a little bit more active. So just make sure that you follow. We we try to post. Uh, we don't post that often, but everything that we do post, try to make sure that it's pretty high level. Cool. Well, if you've uh, enjoyed this pod as well, make sure you check out on the main pod, the Arsenal Pass pod. We've got the set review that's just dropped as well around the same time as this pod, where myself and Brendan go through all of our initial takes, give our grades for the limited cards, and then you can look back in a couple of weeks' time and see how terribly wrong we were, uh, like me with Aether <laughs> Ice Vein and Limited. So uh, make sure to check that out, and I'll be back next week with another great limited guest as we break down post uh, this, this sealed format and we start to look towards drafts. So again, Yuanji, thanks for coming on, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.